Apologies in advance for the brevity of this episode. Like most of my Sunday editions, this won't be dealing with contemporary news either. Now, on this particular week, I happened to find myself out of the state for the weekend, which put a damper on my prep schedule. But I also happened to stumble into a saving grace, I guess you could say. It was a piece on a question and answer site called Stack Exchange. This is forked from Stack Overflow, the popular program-focused question and answer site. Evidently, they decided to branch into just about any discipline you can imagine. This question was on the Aviation Stack Exchange. I frequent the Italian Stack Exchange sometimes when I'm trying to learn another language. Anyway, someone had posed a question, which I think makes for a great little bottle episode, the kind that's just perfect when you're short three days of regular show prep time. So here it is. What happens to a plane after its pilot ejects the cockpit? I mean, really, where does it end up? Do we know? We're usually focused on what happens to the pilot in this situation, but I can say I've honestly never considered the scenario from the perspective of the plane. Now, I'm leaving out the second part of the question that inspired this episode, which was posed as a matter-of-fact suggestion by the poster. Who would have the sophisticated autopilot system find the nearest airfield and conduct an emergency landing, or at least plot out the nearest patch of deserted land to crash itself into, you know, like any good autopilot system should. Or like the faithful horse who escorts its unconscious rider to safe haven, or, I don't know, the Batmobile. Now, this suggestion would make perfect sense if Autopilot had any capabilities beyond effectively achieving cruise control in the air. Sure, it pilots the plane, but only if the plane needs to be more or less continuing in the same direction that it was going in. I mean, Autopilot really is a loaded word, you know, where especially seeing Tesla get burned by it right now. Anyway, in addition to pointing out the comparative simplicity of autopilot, the top answer for this question mentioned a few cases in history where more or less this exact situation had happened. Two instances where, for whatever reason, the pilot had to eject from their vehicle, which then managed to stay aloft for quite some time afterwards. What you end up with is a ghost plane, derelict cruising through the sky. One that continues on its last trajectory until it runs out of fuel, momentum, and an altitude in that order. Best case, we call altitude zero a landing, um, and worst case, it's a crash. And our friend on Stack Exchange got a lesson in both. So the first of these ghost flights concerns a Russian MiG, spontaneous engine failure, and one poor Belgian in a house nearly a thousand kilometers away. It was an otherwise routine training flight for Colonel Nikolai Skuridin, but after he takes off in his MiG-23M, the plane's engines start to lose power. The afterburner, that orange flame cap on the rear-facing part of the engine of most military jet planes, the afterburner blinks out. And so, believing this thing isn't going to maintain altitude, for much longer, Nikolai ejects, but the engine never fails, and the autopilot keeps the plane on its initial course. 
It soon flies over West Berlin, where some American F-15s are scrambled. You know, I love that word, scramble. You can scramble eggs, you can scramble a signal, that's all fine. But when you scramble jets, you're using you know, the Oxford Dictionary's primary meaning of the word. Move hurriedly or clumsily, from or into a particular place or position. Anyways, these fighters get scrambled to intercept the derelict fighter. Now at this point, shooting it over land is perhaps a worse option than letting it continue on its path, because in the former case, you know for a fact that the debris are going to be scattered every which way. You can't really track what kind of damage. They could hit five houses or so. And anyway, they try to wait it out, as it looks like the plane will eventually pass over the Red Sea. You know, that would be a good time to down it or let it steadily lose altitude and fuel. Except that it doesn't. As it's running out of fuel, the plane dips down at an angle sufficient enough to bring it back over land. Eventually, it makes its way into Belgian airspace, so the French now have their finger on the scramble button. But before they know it, the plane reaches altitude zero, crashing into a house and killing its unlucky 18 or 19-year-old resident. May he rest in peace. But onto the second ghost plane. This one has a much happier ending, both for the plane and everyone on the ground, and, of course, the pilot. In 1970, a few F-106A Delta Darts, these kind of triangular-looking jet fighters, took off from an airfield in Montana to perform a kind of like a dogfight exercise. One of the pilots, Major Gary Faust, is chasing another into the stratosphere at a speed of Mach 1.9. The other pilot pulls some maneuver on him, which I am wholly unequipped to describe, and soon Faust loses control of his plane. This thing is doing a spinning nosedive from 38,000 feet at this point. He tries everything to regain control. He even puts it into a takeoff configuration to reduce pressure on the joystick controls, but then that doesn't help. He even activates its braking chute, which was one of the few planes that had. If you recall from the uh, supersonic jet episode, the uh, Russian answer to the Concord also had a braking chute. I think the earlier space shuttle did as well, or at least from my memory of news clippings as a child. Anyway, the braking chute then wraps itself around the plane's vertical stabilizer, and at this point there's nothing left for Faust to do except eject. So he does just that. But here's where things get interesting. The act of ejecting the cockpit exerts a pretty considerable force on the plane. So when Faust ejects, the plane quickly recovers from its nosedive and stabilizes into a cool, level flight. Now with the throttle left in the idle position by Faust before he had ejected, the plane smoothly starts to descend. Remember, this is in Montana, so there's a lot of open fields. And that's a good thing. After a while, the plane starts to glide down into one such field, which at the time was covered in a bit of snow. Now this actually helped it continue on its way once it had touched the ground. I mean, literally sledding through the snow. But the craziest part? There's this stone wall, perhaps delineating a property line, you know, not very high, maybe two or three feet. And it looks like the plane's heading straight for it, you know, that's bound to cause some crazy hijinks. And it looks like the plane's heading straight for it, but then somehow, by a fluke of friction or something, it pivots just enough to aim itself at a break in the wall, which it passes through without a scratch. 
Now, eventually it runs out of momentum and stops in some farmer's field who is rightly confused. Later, the Air Force comes around and is delighted to find that the plane is still in flightworthy condition, so it eventually makes itself back into service before later being retired to the Air Force Museum in Dayton, Ohio, which I'll have to make a point of visiting sometime in the near future. Anyway, that's it for me this week. Take care, folks.